United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Another great show for you today as we get ready for the convention. Once again, we kick off with a countdown to convention. Last week, we had Essie Baharmist on because Essie Baharmist, the esteemed referee, is receiving the Watt Chiswick Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, the Italia 90 World Cup team for the USA will also receive the Watt Chiswick Distinguished Playing Career Awards. And just about the entire team is going to be there. Ralph Perez, the assistant coach to Bob Gansler, has done an amazing job organizing the entire team and the event in Kansas City. These are superstars, big-time names. One of the big-time names, Bruce Murray, a U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, who, when he retired, led the USA in goals scored. Ralph Perez and Bruce Murray will kick off the show as they go down memory lane, talking about Peter Vermees and Tony Miola and Tab Ramos and all the great players, Paul Caligiuri, you name it, we talk about it. Then Ralph Perez does a great job on the transfer to Ray Reed. Ray Reed announced last week that he's retiring after 25 amazing years at UConn. You'll like my visit with Ray Reed. And we meet one more member of our 30 under 30 class, Alyssa Terramona. That's our show. And it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Time now for the Countdown to Convention, a weekly interview on the United Soccer Coaches podcast that features the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which will take place January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Every week during this time, our host, Dean Linky, will take a deep dive with someone or a group of people that will be featured at this year's convention. Remember to register early for the convention by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Now, here's Dean with this week's Countdown to Convention. Kicking off once again with the countdown to convention segment of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. If you listened last week, you heard us talk to Essie Baharmis and Joe Macknick. Essie Baharmis receiving the esteemed Watt Chiswick Lifetime Achievement Award, and that'll be recognized at the convention January 19th through 23rd. Baharmis will be honored alongside former U.S. national team, New York Cosmos, and MISL player Rick Davis, and members of the 1990 U.S. men's national team, the first to qualify for a World Cup in 40 years. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Joe Macknick, of course, joined SE because of the celebrating officials part of the convention. He was on the coaching staff with Bob Gansler, also on the coaching staff with Bob Gansler, the great, likable, super handsome Ralph Perez. Ralph joins me. Ralph, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Well, thank you for those kind words, Dean, and it's a pleasure to be on with you again. I'm excited about these young men 
who are now middle-aged men, being honored for something that I consider the greatest achievement in U.S. soccer since the 1950 team that won a game against England. And lastly, I'd like to just say for the listeners is that we've all seen that show, that movie, Miracle on Ice. I call this the Miracle on Grass. That's a great setup. And each of the 22 members on that 1990 team will receive a Walt Chiswick Fund Distinguished Playing Career Award, similar to the awards given to the members of the FIFA Bronze and Silver Medal winning 89 and 92 five-a-side futsal teams. Their names read like a who's who of American soccer players. Rest in peace, Jimmy Banks and Dave Vinoli, but... Desmond Armstrong, Marcelo Balboa, Brian Bliss, Paul Caligiuri, Neil Cavone, John Doyle, Eric Eichmann, John Harks, Chris Henderson, Casey Keller, Paul Crumpy, Tony Miola, Tab Ramos, John Stolmeyer, Chris Sullivan, Steve Trichu, Peter Vermees, Mike Windishman, Eric Winalda, and a man who's also in the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame, and by the way, scored a goal in that 1990 World Cup. He appeared 85 times, 21 goals, one of the great goal scorers of all time to wear the U.S. uniform. In fact, when he retired, he actually led the USA in goals. We're talking about the former Clemson superstar and U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer, Bruce Murray. Bruce, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean, thank you so much, Ralph. It's great to be on with you again. I can't wait to get to Kansas City. It's been a long time since I've seen a lot of the guys. Um, I've obviously kept up with some of the guys, but uh, really a, a great honor and uh Thanks for having me on today. Let's start, Bruce and Ralph, with recognizing the coach of that team, Bob Gansler, who did so much to push the game forward. Your thoughts on Bob Gansler as we celebrate all 22 of the players, but also the coaching staff and the way Ralph tells me everybody's going to be there. The administrators, heck, I even got a, a subtle invite. I might even pop in there. For me, uh, Bob Gansler is the reason I was a part of this I was Bob's assistant with the U-20s in Saudi Arabia, and uh, we finished fourth in the World Championships, that 1989 Youth World Cup Championships. For me, I think one of the greatest coaches uh, that coached the game of soccer in the United States at any level, collegiately, professionally, and obviously with the national team. I'm obviously a biased gentleman on that opinion, but I think any people that really have followed the game back into the 80s, 90s would agree with me. I was there when Bruce and Bob went into the Hall of Fame in Foxborough, and uh, I was there to do uh, and speak on behalf of introducing Kobe Jones. And it was a great day to see Bob go in, Bruce go in, and obviously Kobe, who I coached as well with the, the Galaxy. But Bob Gansler, for me, folks, is probably the one guy in America that is probably doesn't get enough credit. Rightfully so, Bruce gets a lot and, and has done a lot, but Coach Gansler has done big-time things in the sport from every level, not only from coaching the U.S. and Olympic team and national teams and the Junior World Cup team, which I mentioned in 1989, but he also was a leader in coaching education in our country. I mean, he, along with Walt Chiswitz, who this whole award and ceremonies is about, was Walt's right-hand man, assisting him with the U-20s that went to Australia, the first team that qualified, uh, got the Olympic team, to Russia, but we boycotted in 1980 and then just did a fabulous job in, as a director of coaching as well for many, many years. So he's wore all the hats in soccer, in my opinion, and I'm indebted to him for bringing a young guy along that really didn't know too much, but I surely tried to grasp everything he was teaching and coaching, and it surely works for me through my coaching career. I can't even um, begin to tell you 
what a great coach Bob Gamzer was. I got to play for some big time coaches, Boromil and Tinovich. I got to play for Mick McCarthy over in England. And, you know, as Ralph said earlier, Bob is just so underappreciated for his ability to manage a team in the locker room. I think one thing that people need to know is that Bob wasn't a guy, if he picked you, he was going to let you play it out and he was going to give you that shot. And there's always people calling for your head, especially at national team level. If you haven't scored in two games, we got to make a change and get the next guy in. Bob would come to you and say, I'm, I'm going to give you what you, you know, you need this. You need three games. You know, you're, you haven't scored a goal. It's okay. You're my guy. I'll never forget that. You know, I would have been gone, you know, because there, the, <laughs> there were four or five games, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you'd come good. Bob Ganser had the ability to pull you aside. Just love that, man. Absolutely love that, man. And as a matter of fact, a couple months back during the pandemic, told me it was his birthday. And then I got on the phone. I, I started calling Sunil. And so I called Bob. And we had this great conversation. I really consider Bob Gansler like a, a second father to me. He was, uh, he was uh, an incredible part of my life. And I'm very much indebted to him. So pleased to be joined by Ralph Perez and Bruce Murray. Ralph Perez, an incredible career as well. In fact, in 2012, he was honored as the recipient of the Walt Chiswick's Lifetime Achievement Award. You're talking about a guy who's coached at college at Old Dominion, Santa Clara, Cal State Fullerton, along with D2, Cal State San Bernardino, and Cal State Los Angeles. He's been a super successful coach at the University of Redlands. He coached in Major League Soccer at multiple teams and was a key part of that 1990 coaching staff real quickly you touched on Walt already Ralph but being honored again under the name Walt Chiswitz has to be special to you well for me you know the first thing I think these listeners need to know is that when uh, we were back at that time in soccer in the 80s we didn't have the corporate world really coming forward to sponsor soccer our two major sponsors were Budweiser and Isaac Bush and Adidas and Walt and Bob in the, in the early 80s and really didn't have the, the, the means to really do this the way it needed to be done from a financial end. Even like, you know, gear, you know, equipment and the amount of times you could bring a team together for preparation. And Walt Chiswitz for me is the real godfather, if you want to say, of soccer. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but clearly all of us didn't know Walt, but when we became a worker for Walt in any capacity, whether it's Nick Zlatar, whether it's Lothar Asianda, whether it's Bob Gansler, myself, when you say Walt Chiswitz, it means a lot to us. And we are indebted to his commitment to soccer in this country. And I don't think anyone was more committed to the game than Walt. Matter of fact, a quick little story. I'm leaving El Camino Stadium in 1985 after we lost to Costa Rica to not go to Mexico. And I'm up, I'm livid. I'm walking out of the stadium with Walt. And he says, and he puts his arm around me and says, son, be patient. We're going to get there. And then after the game in Trinidad and we got there, I looked at him and that's the first time I saw Walt really cry. That's how much it meant to him for us to go to Italy. So fast forward, I got the dubious honor. The team is up in Terrania, we're waiting for the first game against the Czech Republic. As an assistant, you got to go. So Bob sends me down to Rome to scout live Austria-Rome against Italy. And we're walking into the stadium. And as we stop to get a soda, because they weren't selling alcohol, I put my arm around Walt and said, 
Remember 1985? Well, here we are, my man. We're here at the World Cup. It's live. It's reality. And he looked at me and he said, don't be a smart ass. I said, well, you, you, you uh, scout Italy. I'll scout Austria. And uh, we had a great time scouting the game. We had a great time driving all the ways back to Florence. But Walt Chiswick for me, done so much for me in my coaching career. And uh, I think uh, clearly was uh, someone who gave so much to soccer and another guy that I don't think gets half the credit that he deserves for what he did for soccer in the 70s and 80s. And we lost him way too early when he passed away after the World Cup in 94 as the head coach of Wake Forest. Bruce, hearing Ralph talk about that game in Trinidad, Bruce, you were one of my favorites as well. You're always nice to me. You joked around with me and you made it fun, but uh, you're always great to me and you continue to be great to me. But I always picture you being right there after Paul Caligari scored. I feel like it's you and Tab like in that picture. And I think you're looking up to the sky. So you've got that moment. Then you also have the moment of scoring a goal in the World Cup. Can you put into words both those moments as two of the best ever? Yeah, for sure. I actually got the best view of anybody in the world on Paul's goal because if you watch the replay, I, I actually have to get out of the way. I have to pull off to the side. And, you know, when, when he cut it back and he hit it, I'm like, you dumb bastard, what are you doing? And, and he hit it. And I said, oh, my God, it's going to go in. And the guys, there was two uh, Trinidadian players right there that both said, oh, man, at the same time, like, like, man. And then shit. And then it went, excuse my language on the podcast, but it went in. It dipped under the goal. It was a vicious strike. He hit it as hard as he could up on it, and it drove straight down. And, and you know, the whole thing about the sun and the eyes and all, you know, it was a wonder strike. It was an absolute wonder strike. And uh, the reason my hands were, were up, I'm like, you know, please, Jesus, just give us one. That's all we need, right? That one goal. And then some great work by Tony and the boys at the back, John Doyle. John and I have talked about this questionable foul on John on a Trinidad player where where he really took him out and these days it would have been a penalty um, but we got through it and uh, but you know the atmosphere in Trinidad and Tobago and Ralph can attest to this I've never you know I played in bigger stadiums and bigger crowds uh, but the whole country was involved and I've never seen that many people dressed in red um, outside the stadium inside the stadium um, Ralph it was incredible no well I, I agree with you 100 percent Bruce because from the bench Gansler gives me an elbow saying, what's he doing shooting? I says, I don't know. He's a knucklehead. You know Cal. We gave him the nickname, the Cal Zone with That's the Galaxy because right. he's in his own zone. That's but right. when it goes in, Doug Newman jumped as a, a vertical jump like Michael Jordan because the goal meant everything to all of us. But more importantly, I think, to go back on that, and I've watched the game, and I, I'm actually editing the game to put on to show – when we're there to get this award and I'm going to have Bruce's goal in there. And then Peter Vermes's goal that should have been a goal, but Zenga's right cheek saved it in <laughs> uh, and, and, and Rome. But that goal, and as John Delacamera put it, was a shot heard around the world. Yeah, it was it was. Hit, that put the U.S. into a World Cup. And listen, when you look at our team, some guys were just starting to get the opportunity to go overseas. But we were basically the Olympic team of 1988 that went to Seoul with Lothar. Yep. And we really, I've said this a million times, if we had to tie the game, I don't think we get to the World Cup. The fact that we had to win it registered yeah. with our mindset as American soccer players. Must win. Yes. We weren't sophisticated enough to say, let's go lay like an Italian team and yep. play for a tie. 
Yeah. And again, to go back to Bruce's comment about the crowd, they already had it on Monday, a national holiday, with the anticipation of either winning or tying to go to Italy. And when we left the game and it was over, when the Argentinian rep blew the whistle, those people, the Trinidadians, showed the greatest sportsmanship yes. I've ever seen in sport. Because yep. if that game was in Mexico, Costa Rica, El Salvador, yep. Honduras, Central America, forget about it. We would have had to get a police escort to get out of there. Yeah, no question. Great. It was, Great it was um, it's something that for, for the guys, because when you coach, it's all about your players. I couldn't be happier for those yes. men because yeah. they deserved it. They earned it. And uh, I'm biased. Everybody can say, oh, well, Mexico wasn't in the qualification. I don't care. That was a great achievement. And I consider these guys the pioneers for soccer in America because then we knew the next World Cup was coming to the USA. And that was imperative that we got that experience for the next, next World Cup. So it's a massive game, something very important in U.S. soccer history, in my opinion. Bruce, that was huge, and you didn't comment on your goal. And one of the other things I remember you talking about is you're a big guy, Bruce, but I remember even you saying when you had that first game, I think against Czechoslovakia, right? Yeah. And you guys were walking out the tunnel, and you looked over at these guys. I remember you talking about how big they were, but talk about what it meant to score the goal and then also what it was like, the aura of these superpowers at the World Cup in Italy. Hey, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I remember we got the scouting report from Joe Matchnick. You know, you guys physically, you're going to be fine. And, and I got in the tunnel and I'm standing next to a guy named Thomas Scaravi, who's about 6'6". Six, six, and I, I'm looking <laughs> up at him. And the two center backs are 6'5". And Ralph, you remember, I mean, it was like, it was like playing, you know, a big hockey team or something. And, and I thought to myself, well, okay, I guess Joe got the scouting report, right? Maybe we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was it was the worst scouting report in the history of mankind. Uh, and I say that, you know, with all love, Joe, but it was awful. And, and, and it was terrible. But but what I liked about the World Cup for me, the fact, you know, I scored a goal against Austria, but that game, you know, they scored, you know, they scored two goals off of counterattacks. So we were on the front foot. I think Ralph will remember that in that game. And, and the reason it's important to me is we grew into the World Cup. We learned a lesson against Czechoslovakia. We could have gone to Italy and just gotten, you know, just crushed if, if we if we put our heads down. We didn't. And everyone, we had a great game plan, our work rate, we, a little bit of uh, what Italy does to other uh, countries where they, they shut it down. And then in the Austria game, we were on the front foot. So I felt like this group worked every game, got better and better and better. And we put together a product when FIFA looked at obviously they're coming to play in the world cup in 1994 you know now all of a sudden that automatic birth it didn't look so bad right it was it was like ralph said we had to put on a good performance and we did and you know again losing all three games is that a good performance not in what we want now but at that time is the football that we played and how we grew into it was was um is what i'm most proud of from the group ralph and i i think maybe you can comment on that too I think Bruce hit it on the head that we grew into the game, into the tournament, which is a normal thing for most American teams that I've followed over the World Cups or Youth World Cups. We surely get better and we rise to the occasion. And we're never a group that's going to quit. And to go into that, think about this, guys. We went and we were drawn into one, the host nation, Italy, who's been a world champion team. Okay, two, we're drawn into three European teams. Austria and Czech Republic. And by the way, 
the Czech Republic game that Joe went and scout, they spanked England in London by a 5-1 goal difference at Wembley. True. Now, when to go back to the comment that he said about the size, Joe got it all wrong, 100%. And that's what happens when you scalp through TV instead of being live, like Lothar says, when you can yeah. walk on the field and really see the size. In, yeah. in Firenzia, Florence, the stadium that we played in, you come through the, t- the ground behind yes. the goal. So as we go out, the subs and the coaches, I'm looking to my left where the checks are. And I start looking and I'm going like this, looking like my neck is just turning to going like basketball. I'm looking up and I'm looking up and I'm looking up. And I said, Judas Priest. I, and when we got to the bench, I said to Coach Gansley, you check the size of those guys. <laughs> I said, holy crap. And, 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 and then you talk about speed of play and you talk about, you know, Joe Mack was saying, you know, long range shooting and, and, and we gave up penalty kicks for poor Tony Miola to have to try to save. And it was like trying to put your finger in, in one dike and the water comes out and put it in another dike. Yeah. And then our boy, Eric Winalda, na- naivety, he gets red yeah. carded in the first half. So you you want to play with 12 men. Now we're playing with 10 men. Right. But if you look at the goal that Cal, the jury scores on a is a big time goal taken yep. well done all the way. And, and, and it was a fantastic goal. What I remember about Bruce's goal against Austria, typical Bruce. He's fighting the Austrians to get to that ball, pull it out of the net, to put it back in play and see if we could get a, at least a tie. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. one of the things that I wanted to do on one of those counters that Bruce is talking about, I wanted to leave the bench area and trip the guy so that he couldn't <laughs> get the ball. Because this guy ran by Desmond Armstrong with the ball, and I said, my God, the speed. That is the thing that people don't recognize. Well, we're, Ralph, playing, what, those teams, we're playing the best athletes. What, what, what's interesting is, is, is the guy you're talking about is, uh, was the European sprint champion for the 100, 110 high hurdles. I think it was, uh, I think it was Omar or Ogar. So I can't remember, but they, they had Tony Polster up top. That Austria team was some really, really good team. And yes, uh, it, they, was. You know, it was a really good team, but uh but you're right. And, you know, Desmond could run and this guy just blew past him. But I, I, I had somebody point that out to me that he was like the European 110 high hurdles champion. So you're clearly right. uh, I very, forget uh, the name, but you're right about yeah. Polster as well. But yeah. the other thing that people don't recognize is that the Czech Republic, if you kept following the tournament, they were really robbed in the game that knocked them out of the tournament. Right. Because they were that good of a team. And yeah. obviously Italy lost to Argentina in the game in Napoli against yep. Diego Maradona. So we played two outstanding teams. And then the Austrian team was a very good team as well. So you didn't get that break that you see now in World Cups where you play a, another third world nation, per se. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, so you can tell it was that, an experience. Yeah, you can tell this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to take a break, but we're reminding you that United Soccer Coaches in conjunction with the Walt Chiswich Memorial Fund will honor all of the 1990 U.S. men's national team, including the coaching staff and the administrators, but especially the 22 players that were on that team, coached by Bob Gansler, Ralph Perez, who joins me, and Joe Macknick, Bruce Murray, one of the all-time greats in the Hall of Famer, is with us. We'll step aside and be back with more Ralph Perez and Bruce Murray on the Countdown to Convention portion of this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. 
Come see us on Podcast Row at the 2022 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Kansas City this January. The convention is the ultimate event for soccer coaches and those who work in the game. Rekindle your passion through presentations, on-field demonstrations, exhibits, and events for coaches at every level. Whether you're attending alone or bringing the entire coaching staff, there's no better place to learn, network, and experience all aspects of the game. Register for the convention before the price increases on December 16 to secure the best rate. And as a listener of this podcast, use the promo code POD22, that's P-O-D-2-2, at checkout and save an additional $40. Your registration also includes all of the recorded sessions so you won't miss a thing. Visit UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org today to register before December 16 and use promo code POD22, that's P-O-D-22, at checkout to save. We can't wait to be reunited with all of you in Kansas City. Welcome back as we continue our countdown to convention with Ralph Perez, who's already received the Walt Chiswick honor, and now he'll be part of the 22 players. Bruce Murray, the U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer as well. It'll happen at the convention in Kansas City. And Bruce, Ralph Perez is working overtime to get all you cats together trying to make sure that everybody gets there, which is like literally herding cats. It's not that easy. I give Ralph a ton of credit for making all this happen. What do you think about all the work he's done to get all of you to Kansas City? Oh, it's fantastic. And, and you know, obviously, Ralph was uh, was a big part of, of that team. Ralph was, was the sounding board when you feel like you had to go to somebody away from the head coach. Ralph was the guy that would get the message up to the big man. And that's what Ralph is, is doing now. He's putting us all back together again. It really is a band of brothers, that whole, that whole group. We're a family. And, um, you know, I think Ralph can, can speak on that as well. But uh, Ralph, uh, with, you know, so much appreciation for what you're doing. And I know I can speak for everyone on the team. Uh, thanks for what you do. Well, Bruce, you're right. It's a band of brothers. It's a family. I have that poster that we all have where we're supposed to be in front of the Coliseum. We won't tell everybody where it was really shot, but right. um, I look at that poster. And one of the things that's amazing to me is how all of those guys, their involvement in soccer in some shape or form or capacity and still in the game as we speak today. But more importantly for me is that um, it's a labor of love. And what really inspired me, Bruce, was kind of the attitude that we had, never give up. It's just like Adidas's slogan, nothing is impossible. And yeah. that's the way I felt about this. I know with COVID and everything, it was impossible. We had to cancel it. We were trying to figure out how to do this, how to bring everyone. And what really inspired me, Bruce, and maybe I'll share this for everyone now that's listening. I'm watching a thing about the Rolling Stones. They lost their drummer. You know, he was 70. And these guys are still performing, Mick Jagger and the group. And I'm saying, these guys are still doing it at 70 and they're loved and behold, I got to do something for this 90 team. So I called Jeff Van Dusen to congratulate him as the new executive director of the United Soccer Coaches. And he said to me, thanks for calling Ralph. And I said, listen, he says, can I do anything for you? I said, yes. Can you let this work where I bring my guys, the 1990 team, I, I don't want them to have to pay the fee. I want them to be treated as very important people. I want VIP status. I want them to check in the lounge. I wanted to make it easy for them. Then I jumped on the phone with Peter and Brian Bliss 
they jumped aboard. Then I talked to Jan Osborne, and she was going to jump in. And then it just became a labor of love with amongst ourselves and guys calling each other, encouraging each other to come because everybody's got to pay their way there. Everyone's got to get a, a hotel. Uh, everyone's got to figure out all of that. But as you can see, everyone's coming. And what also makes me think about getting together before it's too late, we've lost our beloved brother, Jimmy Banks and David Van Oli. And then yep. coach, coach gave me a big scare with the stroke that he had, Bob Gansler. Yep. And, uh, I just thought, God, we got to do this now. We can't wait anymore. We got to bring this together. And uh, I am so pleased and thankful to God that now it's just a month away. And uh, I can't wait to see all these guys physically in person to hug them, embrace them, and to have a lot of laughs and go out and have a dinner together and have a few beverages together, adult beverages, as you may put it. But it's a special group. And I don't think these group of guys get enough credit. Yes, some went on and played further World Cups. Some didn't. You know, when you look at everybody, what they've done to the game, remarkable stuff, every, every guy that's on that team. Bruce, real quickly, speaking for Jimmy Banks and David Vanoli, you knew them very well as they're up in heaven looking down, particularly as this happens in Kansas City for the United Soccer Coaches Convention. You know their personalities. What do you think they'll think about this, uh, getting the, the gang, uh, the brothers together, like you said? Those are the two guys that embody the whole, the whole spirit of the group. Jimmy, the, the, the funniest, kindest guy you've ever met in your life. I'll give you a quick Jimmy story. We, we, we were going to El Salvador to play a qualifier, and Jimmy was excited about his, his new penny loafers, right? And he got on the plane, <laughs> and I said, Jimmy, man, those are tight, right? You got to take, you know, don't take your shoes off, right? And Jimmy's like, no, no, and like halfway through the flight, he said, my dogs are hurting, man. I, I got to do something. And so he took his shoes off, and well, sure enough, uh, we land and Jimmy's walking through the, the through the terminals holding his shoes in his socks because his feet swole up and he couldn't get them back in the shoes. And uh, you know he's like, "Man, you were right." <laughs> so, so you know that's a story. You know I think about with Jim Banks, man. He was such a great dude. And 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 then obviously Dave Vinoli. Uh, I I've never played with a leader. Uh, like Dave Vinoli, if any, you know, he, he would come to your room before a game or on game day and he'd headbutt you and say, this is, you need to score. And like, he was the greatest locker room guy I've ever played with. And I've played with a ton of players, right? But Dave Vinoli was the best locker room guy. I challenge anybody on the national team to find, tell me of another guy that would get players pumped up for a game like Dave Vinoli. And Ralph, I mean, maybe you can comment on it because I've, I've never been around a player like Dave Vinoli in terms of just getting the team up, taking us out for nights out, you know, bowling trips. That was Dave Vinoli. He was unbelievable. I mean, Bruce hit it on the head. I mean, Jimmy Banks, you know, he even went on to coaching at Milwaukee School of Engineering, a, a Division three school. He played for Coach Gansler at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, obviously one of the coaches probably favorite college players ever coach plus also national team. And we're all broken up with the news about it. But yes, Jimmy was, Jimmy was a solid guy. He was a solid teammate. He was a wonderful family man. And he was a real joy to coach because he just came to play every day, whether he was playing or not playing. He just embraced the role that you gave him and did it when his business the right way and a great teammate. David Van Oli, because he was a UCLA guy and I coached against him many years at Santa Clara and and obviously, he played on that 88 team with, with Bruce in, in Seoul, Korea. 
and he embodies everything that Bruce said, but here's a little story that about him that exemplifies who David Van Lodi is. We, we brought him in late after he was the starting keeper in the early qualifications. Then Tony Miola won the job. And it was, then it became, we were taking three keepers and we had a lot of discussion about that, the coaching staff, who would be the third guy. And I, it, it came very clear to us Let's take David because of just all the things Bruce said. And he would be a great spirit in our locker room. And I loved him when we did shooting because, and I use that with my college guys to this day. When a guy hits a shot well over the top, he used to go, there's another goal kick. You know, because it means it's over the top, it becomes a goal kick. And he challenged these guys and he would piss them off. He would trash talk. Come on, boys, put it on the frame. I'm doing nothing here. Come on, challenge me. And, uh, and and as Bruce said, you know, he's a great communicator, which you wanted a goalkeeper. He organized. He's a winner wherever he played. And it's a shame that we lost him. I went to that funeral service in Manhattan Beach, and there wasn't a dry eye in that place. Yeah. yeah. That when uh, people spoke as eulogizing this man, because he was special, special go- in so many ways. Yeah, indeed. I want to go back to that band of brothers thing, because uh, a couple months ago, I did have Desmond Armstrong on and, you know, Desmond's not afraid to say what's on his mind. And he talked about the fact that, uh, you know, as the team was getting together and trying to, you know, make it to the Olympics uh, before the World Cup, you know, he's like, you got the Jersey guys. And we all know who they are, Miola and Ramos and Harks and, and Wendy from New York. And then you've got uh, the California guys and you got a couple of Midwest guys. Desmond, his words, not mine. You got the two black guys, as he said, with with him and Jimmy. Bruce, where did you fit into that whole thing? And, and how did you then band together? Because Desmond did kind of point out there were a couple of clicks. But at the end of the day, everybody did come together. Well, I I I was the uh, the East Coast guy who was like a Cali guy. I didn't really care about anything. <laughs> like I, I didn't, you know, I just knew I had to go out and score goals. I, I really, I got an early introduction all the way back into 85 when Paul Caligiuri welcomed me into the group when uh, Alcas, Alcas Panagulius was the coach. So I really got to know Tim Harris and some of the older guys, those relationships. So I, I, I really had a good relationship with, with, with the SoCal guys. And uh, I was like the East Coast SoCal guy. I don't know, Ralph, you can weigh in on that. But uh, I, I don't want to say clicks. I mean, there was guys, you know, there was the UCLA Mafia that, you know, that was out there. Ralph remembers those guys. You know, we had John Hart, the Jersey guys. But, but no, it was a, it was a, it was a really, um, it was a really tight locker room. It really was. There was a lot of competition. Like you have to understand at that time, Dean, and you know this because you were there. But the, 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 the the amount of competition for being on the U.S. national team was every single guy who kicked the ball thought he was good enough to play on the U.S. national team, and they were bringing guys in, Ralph, all the time, correct? Correct. Well, you know, it's funny, and it happens with any national team, even when Bruce and I were with Border with the uh, Gold Cup, which won the 1991 first Gold Cup, is that, you know, we, you know it's always fun, even when I do that with my college guys because I got all, all over this, uh, uh, the Western region. And you play California against the rest of the world because that that kind of thing. And obviously UCLA had a flavor to the team because, I, you know, the late Ziggy Schmidt did a good job of recruiting players there. We had two guys from Clemson, Eichmann and, and, and Bruce. And, and then you had, you know, Balboa who went to San Diego State. But, you know, we had the West region. And the thing about Bruce, 
yeah, he was an East Coast guy, but Bruce was the guy that could be with everybody. And everybody <laughs> loved Bruce because he fit in with the, with, as you mentioned, the two, two soul brothers, he fit in with the, you know, I bet you he's still to this day, he's happy as heck about what Hugo Perez did with El Salvador in this last Gold Cup. And absolutely, and Hugo, Hugo doesn't break his leg in France. He's a guy that we would have loved to have with his experience sure. and his, his ability. But being said, there was competition. But when it came together, and that's the hardest part of any coaching job, is now you make the final selection. Everybody that helped us along the process to get there, it wasn't just the guys that went to Italy. It, it, it was a real, you know, Paul Crumpy, you know, he, he played an instrumental role to get the team to, to, to Seoul. They had to win 3 nothing at St. Louis Soccer Park, and they do with Gabar's goal and Crumpy's goals. So these guys, they love each other. They were supporting one another, and they were, they were there to, to do whatever Coach Ganzo needed them to do. And it was always tough to say to make the final cuts, but at the end of the day, I think that it's important. So, for example, a guy like Bruce Murray plays an important role because he gets on with everyone. Everyone gets on with him. Everyone respects his role in the team or what he does. The most difficult job in the world, scoring goals. That uh, Number nine is the hardest guy to find in the world, honestly. Secondly, a young Eric Winalda. Yeah, he was too young maybe for the 90, but 94, he was, he was ready to go. Tab and, and Johnny Hawks and, and Tony. Yeah, it's the Carney group. That's an odd thing that three guys from the same area. That's fantastic. And then you go on and on, Windishman. I don't want to leave anyone's names out, but clearly, you know, Chris Sullivan, he came in, he was playing in Hungary. He brought something to the team that was different. Every guy brought something to the team. Even people criticize, hey, what, what was Henderson and Cabone doing on that team? Well, they played our under 20s and, and players 21, 22 are probably never going to see the field. But coach and I knew that we had them. They're young guys, they'll run, they'll do anything we need to right. make something work in training. Ralph, I'll just expound on that point. Chris Henderson pushed everybody on the training ground. Guys like me that weren't interested in getting a time on a run had to bust our ass because Chris Henderson set a pace that was off the planet. It made me a better player, I can tell you that. That's true. Yeah, that is so true about Chrissy. And uh, yeah, he could, he could, when you ask a, a wide midfielder to go box to box on the U20s, he ran everybody into the ground except Brazil. It is interesting as you look at these names, all of them have gone on to do great things. Not every one of them has done things in soccer, but probably 90% of them have done things in soccer. Let me go to you on this, Bruce. When I yeah. look at Peter Vermees, I think he might be the greatest coach this country's ever produced. I'd like your thoughts on that. And when I do the rotary circuit for the D-level um, guest list, uh, they'll ask me who the best player I ever saw. And I always say Tab Ramos. I mean, you know, they yeah. threw me in there. And immediately when I saw this guy play, I was like, oh, my God. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. Yep. And I don't think people realize how great he was. I'd like yep. you to comment on that. And the last one, and Bruce, you're one of my favorites, but my all-time favorite was Tony Miola because here yep. I am trying to promote the game. And Tony got it before anybody else got it. He understood yep what was yep. happening, and he made the most of it. Your comments on those three thoughts about Burmese, Ramos, and Miola. Yeah, so Peter Peter was absolutely one of the best players, uh, you know, the national team, real team player. 
uh, could play anywhere, not just the nine, scored some big goals for us. You know, one of the original players to go to Europe, Hungarian background, his family. Peter was, you know, he's just made for coaching. Um, you know, obviously Coach Ganser, I think, came from that background. And, and if you think about Peter, uh, once he finished uh, with the national team and he got MLS came along, Peter actually transferred back to a center back. Very difficult for a center forward to go back and play center back. And Peter had a great career in MLS as a center back. Um, so, that, so that's one. Tab Ramos, your eyes don't lie, Dean. And, I, you know, again, I played with Baggio. I played against Baggio. I played against some, uh, Mueller. Some of the best players at the time because the national team used to play club teams. And I would watch Tab Ramos, and I'm like, God, he's the best player on the field. All right. And so when I think of the best talent I've ever seen and quickest players I've ever seen, I always have to put Tab Ramos in that conversation. No question about it. I mean, the guy was incredible on the ball, his thinking. But just, uh, you know, when, when he played against big time players, Tab actually showed up where, you know, you were like, my God, he was the best player on the field today. And I wish guys like Tab had had more of an opportunity. I know he played and had a pretty good career in his Betis. Um, but nowadays, it almost feels like, you know, I, I almost feel like I would see Tab Ramos playing in the Premier League. Well said. And then what about Tony? I mean, Tony, Tony, yeah. long before Alexi Lalas did the beard and the long hair and Kobe did the dreadlocks, Tony had the mullet, but Tony had this moxie where he kind of knew what he was walking into and he continues to ride that. And I think has been a great ambassador for the sport. No question. You know, I was on, a sh on, on Tony's show with Brian Dunseth a couple of, of months ago and, and enjoyed that conversation. Uh, great walk down memory lane. But Tony got um, he got the marketing side. I was never the marketing guy. You know, uh, Eric got marketing a little bit. Uh, but but yeah, before Alexi, Tony, Tony was the first guy that understood the importance of marketing, going to the events, Tony getting his brand out there. Tony would be the first of, of the group to do that. And he had some big deals. He signed some big uh, shoe contracts and some glove contracts. But, uh, but, but Tony was a leader. He was obviously one of the best goalkeepers the United States has ever produced. Uh, he's on that Mount Rushmore of, of uh, you know, with Brad and, and uh, you know, and, and I guess Casey and, and, uh, Our. and uh, yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, Tony got marketing and, um, but, but it, I hate to do that to him because he was such a good goalkeeper. So he could play and he could market. Sometimes guys market and they can't play. Tony was the, a little bit of both. And it was very, uh, he, was, uh, he was a cool guy to be around. Anything you want to add to that, Ralph? Yeah, I got a lot, but I'll make it a short version. I had the privilege of obviously coaching him with this group, but I also had the privilege of those three players being on the Metro Stars in year one of 96. Hermes, I had Tab. And I had Tony. And I gave them the nickname to Carlos Alberto Pareda, the three tenors. Because, you know, they're, they're the greatest performers, the three tenors in the opera side of things. But on the field, everything that Bruce said is 100% correct. You want to see a great goal with Tab, go back to the game with Costa Rica and Portland. You want to see a great goal by Tab, go to the first MLS All-Star in, in 75,000 at Giant Stadium. And Tab's not a goal scorer. But... Tab Ramos for me was just everything Bruce said, quick, like lightning quick and, and on the dribble, something that I would love to see our American players be able to do more. Take a guy on the flank, beat him, and serve the ball. Peter Vermes, always a fitness guy, took pride in fitness, had a great, great mind for the game, great skill, 
competitive as hell and uh, a winner, just like Tab. And then Tony, I think, is probably, like, like he said on the Mount Rushmore, Tony was a brilliant goalkeeper, but you got to remember he was young. He was younger than those guys. He played not only in the 90 Cup, 94, and then he came back, Bruce Morton, for the 2002. So he played in three World Cups. You know, maybe, you know, at the end of the day, for me, Tony, you know, was a big instrumental guy in Coach Gansler's championship for winning an MLS Cup with the Kansas City team. And it's really, what, to go back to Bruce's comment about Vermes going back to a defender, he was voted Defender of the Year yeah. as a def- center back. Yeah, I was so there as the voice of the Rapids. Yeah, I so, had a front row seat to, to Vermes right, making so, that. Tri- we went from worst to first with Vermes back there, yeah. Exactly. So I, I think then you go fast forward from playing career to coaching career. I mean, Tab did the best job with the U-20s ever. Yep. Made those teams very successful. And then look how many of those players are playing in Europe right now. And then you take, you take Peter's Vermes. I saw the graphic the other day. He's got more wins. He's up there with Bruce Arena. Bob Bradley and Ziggy, the late Ziggy Schmidt. So that speaks for itself. Finally, as we wrap this up, and obviously there are going to be more stories to come, and I can't imagine the Friday and Saturday, what's going to go down in Kansas City. It's going to be off the charts. But, you know, even thinking about myself as a guy who was a basketball, football, baseball guy, got this internship with John Polis, and the way that the players and the coaching staff, and yeah, they teased me a little bit, but the way they wrap their arms around me, I think speaks a lot about why you're doing this, Ralph. I mean, they're really, really good people. They, they changed my life. I mean, I met my wife of 28 years through soccer and I now get to do what I always wanted to do, call games. I, I think that really, my little small example, and again, I'm just the tiniest pea in this massive pot of, of superstars, is a good example of how great all these people are. You're talking to a group of guys that, in my opinion, probably all of them should be in the Soccer Hall of Fame just because of the people they are, one. But two, I mean, their careers speak for themselves. I mean, you look around and they're all involved in the game. And, you know, and some class people. I mean, I'll just take one guy that's not involved in the game that always got up every morning and read the paper to see what the stock market was doing was John Stolemeyer. And John Stolomeyer showed us such a class when Eric Ronaldo house burnt down in the fires here in California, he took the world cup ring to a jeweler and made a copy of it so that Eric would have that. And that speaks to who John is, even though he was an ass kicking guy on the field, he took no prisoners and he shot the wounded when he played, <laughs> but, uh, he's a, he's a class guy. And, uh, and all of these gentlemen that we're talking about, I can't wait to see them because, uh, Maybe it's selfish on my part, but I wanted to see them one more time live. I run into them in different places, but to have them all in one room is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I don't think, I, I don't, honest to God, I, I don't think you will ever find a group who had more fun traveling the world than we did. You know, we had a ball. We, <laughs> the jokes, you had to be really sharp in that locker room. As Ralph, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't good in the locker room, you had no shot. <laughs> well, That's true, Bruce. 100. Yeah. percent People don't know the personalities that they see, but in locker rooms, the personalities always come out. And you know, like my man John Hawks. You know, you, you look at Jim Carrey; he's making a living being a comedy guy. John Hawks was John Hawks could imitate anybody, and you know, he's done me a few times. I know about it. You know, I'm not yeah. that dumb. But you know, it, 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 it's 
it was a pleasure to be around these guys. And Bruce said it best. We were all excited to travel because we hadn't traveled that much at that time. There's no pro league. And to travel and represent your country, it doesn't get better than that. Never yeah. gets better than that to hear yeah. the national anthem and play a game for the U.S. I can't yes. wait. Thanks for making this happen, Bruce. I got to admit, the only thing that kind of sucks about it is Ralph's got a few years on us, but he's still better looking than all of us. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, what the hell is he eating out there, man? Hey, it's, it's the Puerto Rican jeans, man. Costa de Leon was looking for in Florida. It's in Puerto Rico. Send me some of your hair dye, okay? <laughs> All right, let's let's I'll end bring with it this. to Kansas City. Let's end That's with great. this as we salute the 1990 team. Coming up next, Ray Reed, after 25 incredible years at UConn, has retired. Nobody does a better Ray Reed impression. Ralph Perez, lead me to our next guest, Ray Reed. Hey, Dean Linky, I'm going to tell you something. It was a hard decision to retire, but I know now it's a good one because Ralph Perez guided me through it step by step. <laughs> that is perfect. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. The 1990 U.S. World Cup team, a team that even changed my little life for the best. Bruce Murray, one of the all-time greats, the Hall of Famer. Ralph Perez, one of the all-time greats. He's already received the Walt Chiswich Award. Thanks so much for joining us on the Countdown to Convention portion of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thank you, Ralph. You're welcome. Great, Thank you, Bruce Murray. Great seeing you, Bruce. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Can't wait to see everyone. Bye-bye. That's this week's Countdown to Convention for the 2020. 22 United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Register today at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. This is Dean Linky with a quick message from United Soccer Coaches College Programs Department. United Soccer Coaches College Services Program benefits do not stop once the season ends. Your registration continues to work for you and your team with 2021-22 eligibility for Team Academic and Team Pinnacle Awards, plus all-season representation with the NCAA, NAIA, and Junior College Governing Bodies. If you have not registered for United Soccer Coaches College Services, please consider doing so today. Join the College Services Program now. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. As I mentioned before the break, University of Connecticut head men's soccer coach Ray Reed announced last week his retirement after leading the program for 25 glorious years. A Long Island, New York native, Reed recently completed his 33rd season as a head coach after holding the same position at Southern Connecticut State University, his alma mater, by the way, from 1989 to 1996. Ray Reed has amassed a career head coaching record of 457, 149, and 78, which is the second highest total in history among coaches at four-year institutions who have coached a minimum of five years in Division I. Reed's many honors have been highlighted by four Count them four NCAA division championships, including the 2000 Division I crown while at UConn and the 1990, 92, and 95 NCAA Division II titles during his tenure at SCSU Southern Connecticut State. Finally, his teams have captured 25 NCAA tournament berths, and Ray Reed retires with a 36, 15, and 10 NCAA tournament record, including a 24, 12, and 7 mark as the head coach at UConn and Ray Reed joins me now. Ray Reed, thanks for joining us on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean, thank you very much for the opportunity. Obviously, a big decision for you. I know that uh, 
these last few years have been amazing with the new stadium and everything that's going on at UConn. Why now, Ray? Yeah, my mom and dad, their health is failing a little bit. I need to be around them more. And the way I attempted to run the UConn program, it's very difficult to be able to serve the program at the level it needs to be served. And then my parents, their needs. So, you know, I, I kind of knew in the summer this might happen. And I wanted to just go through it and see. Obviously, they're getting older. My dad is 86. My mom's 84. You know, they're, they're not going to get better. And they've been such a big factor in my life, in my career, always being there for me. I just thought, you know, I need to make an adjustment in my schedule and to try to help them the best I can. So that's why I did it. On behalf of United Soccer Coaches, certainly our prayers and, and uh, thoughts are with your parents as you spend more time with them. So thanks for that uh, very honest answer. But 25 amazing years at UConn, what made that place so special for you, Ray? Yeah, you know, I, I, I still think it's the best soccer culture in the country. You know, we had a, a, a talented team this year that was young. We had trouble scoring goals. Started nine freshmen and sophomore, 7-7-2 because they were inability to finish. But yet we still probably had eight or seven of our 12 games, 4,000, 4,500 people. The crowd is unbelievable. The culture is unbelievable. We're able to attract great players. Soccer is a, a major commitment at the university. I was very fortunate to follow an icon in Coach Maroney, and I, I hope during my 25 years that you know, I did him proud. We tried to maintain it and improve it where we could. The culture is out of this world. As you know, I had the great honor of calling several games there back in the days of the NSCAA game of the week on Fox Soccer and seeing all those students usually in white walking down. I mean, it's something to bestow. Can you just talk about the incredible support from your student base there? Oh, yeah. UConn? Yeah, we started maybe 10 years ago. At first, we called it the 12th man. And we almost got sued by Texas A&M football, so we had to change the title. <laughs> and we called it the Gold Patrol. And it's a group of students. They meet in the center of campus on game night. They march in with flags. They're very supportive. Our players love them. You know, any night you're getting three, four, five, six hundred students. They're so motivated and so supportive to our guys that it's something that no one else has in college soccer. And I mean nobody else has yeah, it really is amazing. I was there for a game against West Virginia and I think a game against Providence. And I feel like Marlon and Shaka still talk about what it's like headed into stores, a beautiful campus as well. And, you know, the recent improvements with the stadium and all the facilities for soccer, you really got stuck in, Ray. I mean, you're the leader of the charge right there. You spent a lot of time on that. Why was that so important to you? Yeah, Dean, I just, we had, we had a great, stadium that coach had built but it was built on a swamp as well as our practice field so literally if you got three hours of hard rain you could not go on that field for like five days so that and when you drove by it right it looked like an old tin can now however when the students came and the crowd came our former SID Tim Tolkien said this and he was right the students brought that place to life so we wanted to upgrade it. And, you know, at first we were just going to go for a stadium. But now we've got in there, we have our offices. We have a huge locker room. We have a meeting room, a video room, and a, and a, a room to eat. We have a warm-up area. We have a training room. We have a strength and condition room. We have our equipment room. We got a boot room. We got a room for the players to study. 
I literally, I turn around my chair at my desk. Literally, I'm sitting at the 50-yard line. So you know, we, we were very fortunate in Larry McHugh, who was the chairman of the board, and now Dan Toscano was the chairman of the board, Tony Rizza, who donated a few gifts, Rochelle Rubin, who was the chief of staff of the president, and David Benedict, our AD, that they had the same vision as us, and they, they uh, enabled us to go for it. And there's nothing like this in college soccer in the country. There is not a remotely a building like this. You know, this is like you know, most football programs would want this building. I'm very blessed, and one of the things I wanted to make sure was the next guy that followed me, that he had the resources to blow this thing out of the water, and I think he does. 25 years is a long time, eight college cups, 13 quarterfinals. Take me back, though, to 2000, winning that national championship. Nobody can ever take that away from you at UConn. What was special about that 2000 team, Ray Reed? You know, we, we brought in a new, a new group in 97 and then a new group in 98. 98, we went 15-0, and then we lost on senior day seat in all. I think we went 17-4, lost in the first round of tournament. 99, the team was mostly sophomores and juniors. We went to the College Cup. We lost on an own goal in the fourth overtime to Santa Clara. And then in 2000, you know, we went down to Clemson in the round of 16. And they scored off a long throw from Gucci real early. And we scored with maybe nine minutes to go to tie it. And then the first overtime, we scored a golden goal to win it to put us into the final eight. And because Duke had lost, we hosted the final eight. And it was just a group of resilient guys, warriors. You know, to be truthful, there was like four special players. And then everybody else was a good player who just did their job. They exceeded our expectations. They're winners, more importantly now. They're great husbands and great fathers and great pillars in the community. But it was an outstanding group, you know, and it's one of the highlights of my 33-year career. So 2020, you would have celebrated 20th anniversary. And obviously, as we all know, 2020, much like 2021, has kind of been of a bummer because of this pandemic. Were you able to do any kind of celebrations? Or yeah, we brought them back this year with the 1981 team. Joe Maloney's team, 40-year reunion for the 81 team, 20 for the 2000 team because of the year. And they came back for a weekend. We had a reception on Friday night in West Hartford. They got tours of the stadium. They played in the stadium on Saturday. And then we beat Monmouth in overtime, and it was great. I mean, both groups, the 81 team, the 2000 team were there. They were able to see our players, see the new building. It was a fantastic opportunity to honor two of the greatest teams to ever play at UConn. You got to remember, the 81 team, was UConn men and women's basketball when there was no UConn men and women's basketball. Lights, right? No night games. Sunday games at 1, 8, 9, 10,000 people on the weekends due to Coach Barone. So the 81 team was a big-time team on campus as well. It was just great to bring those groups back. We're here with Ray Reed, who's announced his retirement after 25 glorious years at UConn, a friend of the association forever. We'll get to that in a moment. A couple little other data here. The Huskies claimed 13 Big East championships during Ray Reed's time in stores, and 46 student-athletes went on to be drafted by Major League Soccer, including three number one selections. Reed's coaching tree includes 19 former players or assistant coaches who are coaching at the D1 level, including 10 sitting head coaches talk about elevating those players and probably just as important talk about that coaching tree yeah we're lucky you know we've had great players and great assistant coaches and great players who want to become coaches and all we try to do is give them a pathway to get there 
You know, we got Bobby Hughes at Wake Forest, George Kiefer at NC State, David Castellanos and Flo Lou at Drexel, Paul Shoney at Dartmouth, Kevin Anderson at Columbia, all head coaches. And we're just very, very blessed. But the biggest thing that nobody pays attention to is I believe there's nine Division One African-American head coaches. We got three of them. Paul at Dartmouth, Chris Bondi at Northeastern, and Brahim Hancock at Texas Rio Grande Valley. And in a time when people are finally starting to wake up with social justice, I feel very proud that during our time at Connecticut, we didn't just talk about it, we did it. I'm so proud of all my coaches, all my former players, but certainly I'm hoping Chris, Bo, and Bry are just the tip of the iceberg for change in the country, but as important, change in college soccer's leadership. We talked about you being a key player in building this new stadium, these new facilities with your offices and everything else. You also wanted to be a key player with the association. There's now a Ray Reed scholarship fund of some sort. I think I had you on to cover it. Remind us all, Ray, what uh, fund that uh, you sponsored with the foundation and why that was so important to you. Well, I spoke to Jeff and I, and I spoke to Al Albert, and I wanted to do something to make a difference. So we've started this fund to help minority coaches either go to the convention or go to a, a United Soccer Coaches Coaching School Diploma School. And it's available for minority men and women and to hopefully make a difference. And not just to kind of have them go to the coaching school and educate them more on the coaching piece, but have them go to the coaching school convention and meet people in the network that can land them in better jobs. And to be truthful, I grew up in Portland, Long Island, a very, very diverse area. This is one of the proudest things I, we and my family have done. We just want to see change. So many people talk about it, Dean, but yet they do nothing for it. I, I really hope in some small way this helps minority coaches. Now, one of the things the association also does is they pay attention to more than just D1. They pay attention to D3 and junior college and NAIA and D2. And I know Southern Connecticut State holds a special spot in your heart. That's where you went to school. That's where you also coached three teams to three NCAA Division II titles. Can you talk a little bit about Southern Connecticut State and what that has meant to you? Yeah, I was fortunate. I went there in 1980 as a sophomore. I played for Coach the Cranian, legendary coach, who to me is one of the real influences and game changers in soccer in this country. And I was I played three years there, had a great, great run with players. We lost my senior year in the national final, and I was the captain of the group. And I walked up the field, and I was like, livid we had lost. And, and FIU was a much better, much more talented team. But I was livid, and he talked to me afterwards. He says, you're not done yet. I mean, what am I done? I was graduating in two weeks. It was right around now. He said, why don't you send a coach? So I stayed on, got my master's in economics, and then I went back, got a second master's in physics. Back then, you were nervous. You wouldn't get hired unless you had a phys ed degree in college. And I wound up doing six years, I believe, eight, three, four, five, six. Seven. Yeah, six years. And then he asked me in 88 if I was going to take it over in 89. I took over in 89, and I was there like eight years as a head coach, and we were able to get some great players. Like I said, Bo O'Shoney, Chris De Silva, you know, Mike Pecky. We had some great players and have a little bit of success, and that place is very dear. I, mean, I was there for you know, basically from 1980 to 97. I spent years of my life there. You know, uh, matter of fact, I'm going down there today to talk to the AD, and uh, I, I just love the opportunity to get back on the campus. Ray Reed, one of the things that uh, I think you even heard is 
that you are sometimes misunderstood. I don't think people realize what a soft underbelly you have in the sense of just this big old heart. You've heard that before, Ray. What do you say to those people that don't totally know the real Ray Reed? Yeah, you know what? I'm a competitor and I want to compete. And, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, when it's time to compete, I'm going to compete. And that probably turns some people off. Probably I'm a bit uh, overbearing and intense. But the people that know me well, people I'm close with, know who I am. And that's what matters to me. Uh, you know, at this point in my life, besides my parents, my kids and my wife, you know, the things that matter to me are the guys that play for me and the guys that coach with me. Those are the guys. And it's kind of a joke. Some of our younger guys coaching now kind of will say, how do I get into the Southern Connecticut Mafia? How do I get into the Yukon Mafia? <laughs> and you know what? We used to say this at Southern Connecticut, and we say it at Yukon. When we recruit you, there's two types of players. Those that play at Yukon and those that don't come to Yukon. You know, you make that choice as an 18-year-old, and if you come in and you're the best guy or the worst guy, if you do your four years and you follow the rules, we're going to take care of you for life. And, and that's how I believe it. I was very fortunate. The guys I played for, Coach Cranian, high school, you know, Empire State Games, Bobby Schimpf, the guys I played for were like fathers to me. And they looked after you, and they took care of you. And, and that's what I believe, you know, and I think sometimes some of our colleagues say that, but they don't really do it. You know, we, we make sure that we're there for you, you know, as, as long as we can be there at any level. So if they don't understand me, Dean, I get that. Maybe it's part of my fault I don't let people understand me. But the guys that played with me or played for me, my friends, our players, our alumni, our coaches, they know we care about Southern Connecticut and UConn soccer and the people that have made it up. And we're going to go to the mountain to make sure they're successful in the game at whatever level they want when they leave. And I don't mean it's disrespectful, but the other guys, you know, that's their problem. You know, let, them, let their coach from college help them. I, I help my guys because we sell family and we, you know, we are family. And uh, that's from now until I die. Well, and I will say as a broadcaster, you always gave me plenty of time, Ray, and I definitely appreciate it. Look, this is new news, but have you thought about what you're going to miss the most about being on the sideline with your boys? Well, to be frank with you, the university wants me to stay around and help, you know, not in that healthy team, maybe raise money for the soccer, as men and women's soccer, a couple of the sports or deal with donors and stuff. And depending on who gets the job, I'll look at that. I do not want anything to do with the coaching, the recruiting, the training, any of the soccer technical decisions. You know, that's the head man and his new staff, but I want to be there to support him. So I'm entertaining that, and then I'm also entertaining possibly coaching at another level where I have more time to help my parents, but I'm still on the sideline. But if I don't coach at another level, yeah, I'm going to miss – I'm going to miss uh, game day. I'm going to miss the interaction with the boys every day, the student-athletes. That part of it's hard. I mean, I've, I've been playing since I was 10, which was 1970. I went to a place in Southern when I played where Coach DeCrane was a very intense, driven guy. It was 24-7, 10 months a year. And then I took it from him, and I, you know, I established myself. So if I don't coach a team next fall, it'll be sad, but... If I'm helping UConn behind the scenes, I would love it. And if I choose to go another direction, then maybe I coach at a lower level where I can still help my parents, but it's not the demands. Like I, I said to the athletic director numerous times as we go through this search right now, you got to get 50% of soccer coach recruiter and 50% of general manager, fundraiser, people person. If you bring in the best coach in college soccer, 
he's not going to fail, but he's not going to maximize his place. You got to find a guy that can do both and wants to work all day. And it's a special place. So, you know, I will always be proud of that. So to answer your question, yeah, I'm going to miss coaching if I'm not coaching. But uh, regardless, I think UConn's going to be in great hands. And I'm hoping the guy who takes my place gets two championships in the first five years. I want him to push the needle even higher. You kind of already talked about UConn being known as a soccer school. I was told, though, to ask about Gino and Jim Calhoun. What kind of relationship did you have with those two coaches? Uh, I'm going to see Coach Calhoun today for some advice at 4 o'clock. I'm going to Southern, and I'm still working. I'm just not going to the office today. I'm working every day at UConn. But I'm going to see uh, Coach there for He's coaching at St. Joseph's Division Three Basketball in West Hartford. He's eight, uh, 79. He's beaten cancer three times. I'm going to have a coffee with him after his practice. He's the best. Uh, any big game we want at home, any big games, I would turn around from shaking the opponent's hand, and he's standing at midfield. He, w- he would meet with recruits for us. You know, he honored me with his Franciscan Life Jim Calhoun Perseverance Award, which is a great award that Billy Rafferty has gotten, Eli Manning has gotten, and he awarded it to me. The guy could have been the basketball coach for 30 years at Southern Connecticut, regular guy. Gino, Gino's been very good to me, different coach, great guy, very down to earth, guy's guy, laughs, jokes. I've been blessed. I was blessed with Randy Essel, a football coach. Even now, I've become good friends. I knew him from St. Benedict's, but with Danny Hurley, the best. Well, now, you know, we've, it, look, there's been some great coaches that have come through that place. And all Jimmy Penders in baseball right now is riding it big. Nancy Stevens just retired from field hockey, a couple championships for her. We've been very fortunate to be around some of the best in college athletics on a daily basis for the last 25 years. Finally, Ray Reed, this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast. It used to be called NSCAA. Now it's called United Soccer Coaches. When you hear those three words, what does it mean to Ray Reed, United Soccer Coaches? Yeah, it means a brotherhood, a sisterhood. It means pushing the game forward. It means this is something in America that all the world powers don't have, Brazil, Germany, France, Italy. It means a lot of people years ago, Irv Schmidt, Joe Maroney, Terry Jackson, sacrificed and gave a lot of their time to start this thing with no pay, you know, with no pay for doing it. It's a monster. You know, I thought Lynn Bowen did a great job. I think Jeff Van Dusen's going to do a fantastic job. Ian Barker on the coaching education side is second to none. Jeff Tipping was fantastic. And look at you. You do all this stuff for them. And, you're the, and I'm serious, Dean. You're the best at this. You know, I love listening to you on the Big Ten games and this. You're the best. So the, the United Soccer coaches, and the young people don't know this, the United Soccer coaches open doors for them that would have never been opened in their life if it wasn't for them. Men and women, high school, club, junior college, MLS, national team, doesn't matter. It affects all levels and both genders. I love that answer, Ray, and I love that in some small way we're almost related in that my wife's family, you coached uh, somebody that married into uh, my wife's side of the family, and we'll always have that connection as well, Ray Reed. And well, let, like- let me put this on the podcast because he's like his name, Larry Sarita. We coached him, coached the grand, I coached him, but he couldn't defend. He had a record for goals in Jersey. He broke Todd Ramos' record. Coach loved him, brought him in. He was a front guy. We made him into a right back, an attacking guy. But he couldn't defend. He still can't defend. And I can tell him that. You should tell him that at the holidays if you see him. He could not defend. 
That's awesome. We just actually we just he saw was, it. He was a freshman. He was a freshman when I was a senior, and then I was his assistant for three years. Great player. I broke Pat's record, and he, he probably probably about five foot. You know, for the people, probably about five foot tall, quick, dangerous, a good player, and a better person. I love it. We just brought him up. We just saw the, the he wasn't there, but we just saw her side of the family over Thanksgiving and. We're supposed to go to uh, the Bahamas actually in March, so uh, we might see him then. So Ray, thanks for thanks for including that. Congratulations on an incredible career, and thanks for all you've done for the game and for the association. Thank you, Dean. Ray Reed, a true legend of the game. One of the things that he said in his answer about United Soccer Coaches is the doors that it opens for so many young coaches. Of course, several years ago, they started this 30 under 30 program, and I absolutely love it. We'll meet another member of this year's class, Alyssa Terramona, who's already a head coach at the college level. We'll end our show after these messages. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your players' development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, a jam-packed show, a fun show. And of course, my favorite part of the show, getting to know another member of our esteemed 30 under 30 class, no different today, Alyssa Terramona. She's already a head coach at Laterno University. That's in Texas. She was appointed the head coaching job on July 24th, 2020. Alyssa, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dean. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and that's not your first head coaching job. You also were a head coach at Shriner in 2019. So at a young age, you've already been leading young women. That's pretty awesome. What's it feel like to be a head coach at such a young age? It's an honor. And it's something that, honestly, I didn't really see myself becoming a head coach so early. I feel like I was just kind of jumping in head first, hoping, you know, for the best. But um, I had a great um, head coach at St. Mary's University where I played. And I had the opportunity to be at the GA there for three years as well. And Corwin Rich, he really just spoke just life into it and really helped me build my confidence with it. So it's really nice and being able to relate to the girls of not being that far removed from it and being able to help them develop on the field, but also in the classroom and just in their lives in general. Born in Maryland, but a native of Forney, Texas, which is near the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I believe. Alyssa Terramona was a four-year letter winner at St. Mary's. She finished her career as the school's all-time saves leader with 261 career stops. She also set the record for saves in a season while earning a Bachelor of Arts degree in exercise and sports science from St. Mary's. She also earned a master's degree in educational leadership from St. Mary's. Tell me about St. Mary's. What division is that and where is that located? So it is um, NCAA D2 and in San Antonio, Texas. So it's about five hours from where my family was. So it is a small Catholic university, which is liberal arts. Um, So very competitive. It was in the former Heartland Conference and actually merged to the Lone Star after I had already left um, to coach at Shriner. So very competitive. We made it to the conference tournament um, all four years of my playing. So were you always a goalkeeper and did you play other sports? Tell us about, uh, you know, you as a, a youngster growing up. 
My parents, neither of them played soccer, but it was just kind of a natural move with my older brother to jump on in at four years old. So he kind of paved the way, I guess you could say. And whenever he became a goalkeeper, I was like, okay, sure, you know, I'll I'll do that too. So that was really great of being able to see how he played and then being my competitive self wanting to be better than him. And so as we got older, I kind of just stuck with it while he found other interests. I've been a keeper since, shoot, you could, you were able to. But then I also went to a small private school in Terrell, Texas, called Poetry Community Christian School, where we didn't have a soccer team. So I was fortunate to play volleyball and basketball there as well. Awesome. Okay. So a three-sport star, volleyball and basketball. Tell me about volleyball and basketball. What position did you play there? Well, we were a very, very small school. My graduating class was 10 people. So it was very interesting. And so I basically played every position. Um, And then as we got better in volleyball, I tended towards either outside hitter or blocker. But with the focus of the school, which was more academics based, it was something where it was kind of an all around position for both sports. Got it. Okay. I love it. I went to a small school as well. So I certainly respect that. Okay. So then you're going through school and you're starting, you're like, look, I'm pretty good at this goalkeeper thing. Talk, tell us why you picked St. Mary's. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting story. And honestly, it's kind of going towards my testimony. So I actually tore my ACL the end of my junior year. And so that made it kind of through my recruiting process through a loop just because end of junior year is usually prime recruiting time. You go on visits, things like that. And so I was out and then my first tournament back, that's where coach Cornrich uh, saw me. What's really funny is the men's coach at St. Mary's at the time, Quinn Willis, um, I grew up playing against his brother. And so he has seen me play more than coach Rich. And so I walked past them with me not knowing. And he was like, oh yeah, you need to go watch her. And so one weekend I was playing, he contacted me the next weekend. He took me out to dinner, which was kind of a dream recruitment. You don't really hear that too much with, with uh, D2 soccer. And then a few months later, or about a month later, actually, I was able to go on campus and toured and met the girls. And it just really felt like home. It felt just the small tight knit community, the relationships, the, the education. It was what I was looking for without me even knowing I was looking for it. And And then the opportunity to play as well. Yeah. And so then when did the light go off that you knew you wanted to be a coach, Alyssa? Well, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And then once I hit college and was playing, I was like, I mean, I guess coaching soccer is the same as teaching, right? And so I kind of transitioned to being a teacher and a coach, more so at the high school level. I didn't really see the college level. And then I was offered the opportunity to be the graduate assistant Um, at my alma mater. And that first semester, it just clicked. I fell in love with it. I loved the coaching aspect. I loved the recruiting. I loved the paperwork, which is kind of weird to say. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was something where it just really ignited a passion for me. And so if you talk to Coach Rich, I'm sure he would say that was a little bit annoying. But I asked a lot of questions. I was just really eager to learn. And I knew it was the right fit for me. So how did you get these two opportunities early, first Shriner and now Letourneau? I mean, as you hear all the time, you know, it's about who you know. So Shriner, the uh, old coach, Nick Morrison, he actually coached against me while I was a player and a, and a coach. So I was able to develop that relationship with him. And um, again, I think it's a huge God thing because I personally didn't think I was ready for it. But Coach Rich spoke that in, into existence and, you know, encouraged me. And 
um, after having conversations with Nick Morrison, it just seemed like it was going to be a good fit and good stepping stone. I would really think that my personality of just wanting to master my art, asking a lot of questions and trying to get as much information as I possibly could in my three years at St. Mary's, it really allowed me to be prepared for that. And talk about that quick jump, right? Just one season at Shriner and how'd you find out about Laterno? Was that again, knowing the right people? Yeah, it really was. And I wasn't looking to move. I wasn't looking to change jobs. But Shriner was about an hour from San Antonio, which is where I spent seven years. Um, but it was still about five to six hours from my family. And so I have two younger siblings. One is uh, now 17 and the other is 12. And I'm just very invested. I'm very focused on family. And so Laterno is actually just about a little under three hours away from them. And so that was really appealing so that I could be more involved in their lives. But what's funny is I saw the post and I was like, nah, I'm okay. You know, I don't, I'm not looking to move. I like where I'm at. And then I guess they hadn't found a right fit yet. And their men's coach contacted ours who kind of put it in my head again. And so I was like, why not? You know, it's closer to family. It's a good school, excellent facilities, excellent education. And it just kind of, it, it worked out. Okay, so walk us through again, Laterno's, what division and what conference are you playing in? We are Division Three, and we're in the American Southwest Conference. Okay, outstanding. And can you compare your experience at Division Two and Division Three, both as a player and now as a coach? Yeah, so it is definitely, um, there are some learning curves, um, especially with not having um, athletic aid and um, just the way the level is perceived. I would say there are quite a bit of similarities with restrictions with the spring season, what the time that you have with your coach, but obviously D3 is a little bit more limited, but you still get, you know, high caliber athletes. And one big thing at St. Mary's that I really enjoyed is the the focus that we did have on academics. Um, We weren't just there to play. Most of my teammates were there to compete, but also to get a solid education. Um, And so that translated um, to Laterno and D3 of, you know, these athletes, they're here to get educated. They're here for their degrees. And the fact that they can play soccer and um, pursue their athletic career is just a bonus. We're bonus time here with Alyssa Terramona, one of the esteemed members of our 30 under 30 class and the head coach at Laterno University in Texas, about three hours away, as she said, from her family. I need to know, Alyssa, when did you first get exposed to United Soccer Coaches? And then as a follow-up, when did you learn about this 30 Under 30 program? Yeah, so United Soccer Coaches, I was aware of needing a membership and things like that during my GA-ship, which Ron Rich allowed me to have a membership. And then I was a little bit more involved as a head coach at Shriner and then at Laterno with respect to um, being more aware of the voting and things like that. And honestly, I probably just started to dive in a little bit more with it, with joining the Latino advocacy group um, and kind of looking at those different resources to really develop my my coaching and my skill sets, but also being able to build more relationships and kind of expand my network. And then as for 30 under 30, I actually heard about it last year and I was going to apply and then it just kind of, it got away from me, but I ha- I made it a priority this semester, this season to, ap- to apply and just, I mean, shoot, shoot my shot and see if I'd, see if I would be able to, to earn that, um, that opportunity. And so I'm really excited about the mentorship side of things. And again, building connections and even going to the convention and just really getting to know more of what's out there. 
yeah, shooters got to shoot. You can't get to 30 under 30 unless you apply. So you applied, and I'm sure they were impressed that you've been a head coach now, not once, but twice, and also working at your alma mater. They got to love that as well. You know, I like to ask the crystal ball question as you start to think about where you are now. Sounds like family is important, so that might uh, mean you stay in Texas, but have you thought about where you want to be 10 years from now, Alyssa? So I have, and I'm very type A. I like to plan everything. I don't like surprises, which, you know, with COVID, that's been very challenging, but, you know, fun and then really expanded me. But I really can't tell you where I really see myself because to me, it's all a God thing. And it's something where he'll put me where he needs me, which is where, you know, how I feel like I got my Shriner job and the Letourneau job is that he was like, hey, this is where you need to go. This is where you can touch more lives and where you can really pursue your career. Ideally, you know, I would like to see myself at D2, um, maybe even see in a D1, um, in a D1 program to just experience that since I haven't experienced that one yet. Um, but I'm pretty open to what happens and just whatever, whatever um, is meant to be. Yeah, whatever path God takes you. I appreciate that for sure. As we're here with Alyssa Terramona, I like the fact that you got involved with United Soccer Coaches and the Latino Aviski group, which is a great group. So tell me, Terramona, what ethnicity is that? So my dad was actually born in Peru. Okay. Um, and so they moved, I believe, to, to New York whenever he was young. And then we've been here ever since. So part Peruvian. And then my mom was is all American. So. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Have you ever been to Peru? I have not, but it is on my bucket list. I still have family there. I have family in Venezuela. So I, I'd like to go explore and to go um, experience the culture. All right. So when you're not coaching and doing all things soccer, what is something about Alyssa Terramona that maybe people don't know about you, Alyssa? Well, I'm a major introvert. Um, I don't just like to go out and do things on my own. So I do have a dog and a cat, um, which is a fun dynamic. Um, so I like to go, you know, on runs on the trail and things like that with my dog. Um, I do like to hang out with friends and family. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a huge part of my life is that that tight knit group of going to visit, um, visit my family in different areas of the U.S. and then also um, hang out with friends in the off time. And what's the name of your dog and your cat? So my dog's name is Tipsy. Um, she has all tips. And when she walks, she kind of isn't on the straight and narrow. Um, and then my cat's name is Kalila. Awesome. We're here with Alyssa Terramona. And you finally, you said you were going to Kansas City for the convention, which is coming up January 19th through the 23rd. And then on Friday night, I've got the great honor of co-hosting when we meet all 30 members of the 30 under 30 class, assuming all 30 can make it. Uh, what are you looking most forward to at the convention, Alyssa? Honestly, everything. Um, I've never been. So I'm really excited about this opportunity. I'm excited to learn. I'm excited to learn from the panels, from the different people that I meet, and just, again, expanding my network and really broadening my perception of everything. Um, but I guess if you could say one thing, it would be learning, just soaking it all in. Well, we certainly enjoyed it. Soaking this all in. Alyssa Terramona, another member of our 30 Under 30 class. Great job on your interview. We look forward to seeing you in Kansas City. Thanks so much for being on this week's podcast. All right. Thanks so much, Dean. 
Thanks to Alyssa. I also want to thank Ralph Perez and Bruce Murray from the 1990 U.S. World Cup team. Ray Reed retiring after 25 amazing years as the top man of the UConn men's soccer team. I also want to thank Bailey Conklin, Erica Dyer, Sean Chevro, Jeff Van Dusen, and everybody at United Soccer Coaches, my producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.